0: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company & Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. I'm
1: Tanya Mosley. In 1987, my sister Anita vanished without a trace. Decades later, thanks to DNA, we found her. But that's only the beginning of the story. She Has a Name is a new audio documentary that explores the search for redemption, confronting trauma, and healing in the face of unimaginable loss. Subscribe now to Truth Be Told Presents She Has a Name, where every revelation brings us closer to the truth.
2: Hi, this is Women Who Travel, a podcast from Conde Nast Traveler. I'm Lale Arikoglu, and with me, as always, is Meredith Carey, And today we're joined by one podcast alum, I was gonna say regular, (laughs) but alum, the lovely Roweda Abdelaziz, a reporter at Huffington Post. Hello. And Priya Krishna, a regular contributor to the New York Times and Bon Appetit and the author of the upcoming cookbook, Indianish.
3: Hi. And she's wandering around New York, I would
2: imagine, based on the video (laughs) we've
3: got.
1: (laughs) Yes, I'm in Long Island City.
2: Perfect. I was trying to figure out, like, where that arch that I can see you <laughs> on is.
1: It's a parking lot. <laughs> okay, great.
2: <laughs> exactly where you should be recording a
3: podcast. Um, amazing. Well, I guess I'm the spectator here because this week we are talking about something that actually came up when Roweda was on the podcast all those many months ago, which has to do with traveling for your family when you are a first generation immigrant to the place where you live. You guys all fit in that category. I am just from Texas, (laughs) so, so I would love to just start off You know, We talk about our moms all, and I do all the time on this podcast, but I would love to hear, I guess starting with you, Roweda, about your parents, about where they're from, and why they moved to Jersey.
0: Yeah, out of all places. (laughs) Um, So both my parents, my mom and dad, are native Egyptians. They were born, raised, graduated, um, spent, well, normally I say most of their lives, but now it's coming pretty close. But what I have in my head is their entire lives out in Egypt, and then they immigrated over to the U.S. My father came first, and then my mother shortly after in the early 90s, um, just a few months before I was born, actually, and they've been there ever since. Moved around in Jersey, but been here ever since. And Priya, what about your parents?
1: My parents, they, well, when when they first immigrated to America, they're from India originally. They came to New Hampshire and eventually settled down in Texas so that my mom and her brothers could all be together. So I grew up with this amazing extended Indian family in Dallas, and it was it was the, the best thing.
3: I first <laughs> connected with Priya because she wrote about my favorite restaurant in Dallas, hands down, Mikasina. Um, and yep. I was an immediate <laughs> fangirl for making this like slightly trashy but perfect It's amazing. Restaurant (laughs) in Dallas, make it into Bon Appetit. I just thought was the ultimate. And Laleh, you've talked about your dad quite frequently also on the podcast, but give us a little roundup of- I
2: mean, so my mom's British, but my dad is Turkish. And I mean, at this point he spent the majority of his life in the UK. He moved over to London for architecture school when he was 19 and never left. He managed to get to 30 before he had to go back to Turkey and do his military service. And by that point, he was considered so over the hill, he only had to do six weeks <laughs> and then promptly returned to London. <laughs> now he like talks about it with a sort of misty-eyed nostalgia. And the other day he got caught out when he talked to someone who actually like served several years military. <laughs> and well, had- that's
3: the thing, like, what can you do in six weeks?
2: He got reprimanded for being vain <laughs> and had his hair gel taken away from him. And I know that he became very good at target practice. Oh, so a lot apparently. So <laughs> a lot, he learned a lot. And then he went back to Notting Hill, so. But I think um, you know one of the reasons why we thought this would actually warrant like a whole podcast episode is that when you have a parent from a different place, the whole way that you travel as a child is really quite different from your peers a lot of the time because there is this draw to keep going back to this country, you have family there, you know, your parents or a parent has like a deep attachment to that place and obviously want to keep some sort of connection there. And, you know, obviously like, I don't have children at this point in my life. I'm just like, you know, faffing about in New York, <laughs> but, um, You know, it's really important to me. Already I can understand my dad's pull to go back to Turkey so much. It's very important for me to go back to London as much as I can. I can't go a year without at least going once for Christmas. I totally understand it. And going to Turkey when I was like before the age of like 10 was like a huge part of my life. And I know, Roweda, you went back to Egypt a lot growing up. Mm -hmm. What was that like? What were your earliest memories? So that
0: nostalgia that you were talking about of wanting to go back, I feel like is so important and is so self-evident when it comes to immigrant families. Like when my parents first came, I think they came with a very temporary mindset. Um, I know a lot of my friends who have immigrated from other countries, their parents are the same thing. It's like, we come to America um, for a better opportunity, primarily financially, raise our kids there, make sure they're all good and settled, and then we're going back. So I think that mindset kind of trickled down from my parents to mine in a sense. Not that the US was temporary, but then I always saw myself, okay, this idea of going back meant that there was going to be some period of my life where I'd be living there. I didn't know what that meant in terms of whether it would be my teenage years or if I was married or when raising kids, but I was just like, okay, I understand their connection and therefore my connection was instilled, I think at a very, very young age. So much so that we did move back. So for the first 10 years of my life, my parents made it a point to spend one summer here in the U.S. so we can get close to our cousins here and then spend some one summer abroad back in Egypt. And it was the entirety of the summer. We were leaving like days after schools ended, um, sometimes the same day or even like a few days before, and literally making back just in the nick of time. So it was the whole three or four months there and so we did this for um, the first 10 years until my parents that nostalgia really kicked in and they were like you know what we're gonna actually move back to Egypt um, and so I remember being 10 years old and my parents sitting me down and they said um, I was the oldest of the I'm the oldest of my siblings and so they didn't really have a conversation with my siblings who were just like two three four years old and they were like, okay we're going to move we're gonna like sell everything we're gonna sell our home and we're gonna move like what do you think about this And I was just like awesome I'm down. <laughs> there wasn't this fear of like going to a different place because I had spent so much time there. So my parents were just like, you're gonna go to a new school, you're gonna be with different families. All I could think of was like, the beautiful beaches in the Middle East and the great food and all the fun. I think all the serious school and all the other things that didn't hit me to the point where I was just like, I love this idea. I'm gonna hop on a plane, which I've been on plenty of times and it's gonna be fantastic. And I feel like more of my friends were shocked for me like, you're moving to an entirely different country. You're moving to the Middle East. This is also, like, post-9-11. Like, do you really want to go there? And I'm like, yeah, the mango juice there is awesome. <laughs> like, I love this country. It's going to be amazing. And I think it wasn't until living there for almost five years that it hit me. I'm like, whoa, like, this is a big life change. But I didn't have that much time to get used to it because then my parents then moved back. And so it was, like an identity crisis yes and very confusing but i think that experience specifically really fortified like my experience on travel and like took away any fear that it had because i did it when i was so young
3: and priya being surrounded by your mom's family did you guys spend a lot of time traveling to india or was it was it enough to be surrounded by that family that was in dallas
1: we traveled a ton because my mom was a software engineer for the airline industry so back in that day you could stand by for any flight for free so we would like literally pack our bags and stand by for flights knowing full well that we might just like take our bags home and not get to go on vacation but it also meant we got to go to places like egypt and greece and france like when i was a kid and my parents really had that travel bug And they did try to make sure that we went back to India every so often, but I, my dad thought that we would move back to India, but I feel like my mom really didn't want to move back. And so they kind of abandoned that idea early on. But I don't think, I don't think that my parents felt a strong pull back to India. And so I didn't feel a strong pull back to India. When we go back, we had family there, but most of our family had come to America Delhi is very crowded and polluted. It, all, it, like, it will always hold this charm to me, but I don't think that I ever romanticized India as sort of going back to the homeland or anything like that. And I think at a certain point my dad told me, you know, I go to India and I no longer feel like it's home. Like we had all become so American that going back to India didn't feel like it was sort of this this big return. It's just felt like a foreign country and I speak some Hindi but my Hindi's not great and so when I speak Hindi it's like they can tell that I'm from America even though I look Indian so it got to this point where even when I went back to India I didn't quite feel like I fit in
2: there. I think that's so true because like when I go to Turkey I can't really speak any Turkish but I look Turkish so people will like babble away to me in the street and then I'm like ah uh, <laughs> help <laughs> um, and I think it's you know, when you have that language barrier and then also when close family members like aren't there anymore you kind of I think you lose a lot of that pull so like we would always go back to Turkey every summer to see my grandma and then when she died when I was like 11 years old that pull went away somewhat like there was still lots of family to see but like you know that core person was gone and that Big reason to go was gone and so then we started going like other places my mom was like I love Istanbul but like I want to go to Spain (laughs) (laughs) and so Priya I know you've written a lot about this but I really want to hear more about your experience like growing up in Texas as a vegetarian when you're surrounded (laughs) by like barbecue which I love your essay on this it's so it's (laughs) so much fun and the food you ate and kind of the whole world you occupied within Texas, where you had like all these family members and... Yeah.
1: I mean, looking back, I truly feel like I lived in a bubble in so many ways. One, I was largely surrounded by the Dallas Indian community. And that was what Dallas was to me. Dallas was home cooked Indian food. It was dal chowl at my mom's house, thosas at my aunt's house. Like, I don't even think I knew that Texas barbecue was a thing until like maybe my, my late teens, um, <laughs> like Tex-Mex was the one thing we, we loved. I mean, I feel like those flavor profiles are so s- similar to Indian food, it's vegetarian friendly, like me casino, we were immediately on board, but barbecue was just not even something that was on our radar. And the other thing that was kind of funny is that the school that I went to was like the most liberal school in Dallas, you know, Very, like everyone voted Democrat. Like I, at one point in elementary school thought that Texas was a blue state. (laughs) It was just like a very, very limited upbringing. So it's so funny when I wrote that essay, it was sort of me coming to terms with the fact that I say I'm from Texas and people are like, oh my God, Texas. And they have all these notions of what Texas is. And I'm like, well, actually that really wasn't my Texas. Like what, whatever people think that a Texas upbringing might look like, mine
2: was not really that. Save for Tex-Mex, I guess. A <laughs> <laughs> a way to paint your New Jersey to us.
0: <laughs> My New Jersey was pretty diverse also, which I really loved. Also didn't realize uh, New Jersey had a bad rep for many <laughs> different things until maybe I was much older. But because it's so diverse, I was also surrounded by a very large Arab community, a very large Muslim community. Um, But growing up, my mom was very anti-eating out. She was very like, we are going to eat at home at all times of the day. And I used to be like, but I really want McDonald's. And my mom would be like, I'll make you fries at home. And I'm like, but it's not the same. And like, (laughs) it was just like not an option to the point that going out to McDonald's was fun. And I feel like it's something that I didn't appreciate at the time until I left home. Because now, like, I try very much. I like FaceTime my mom at least once a week and try to cook home cooked Egyptian meals all the time, um, which tend to be very heavy and very hearty. My mom was a trooper. I don't know how she did it, raising four kids. She was working two jobs at the time and every day made a full cooked meal, like a full spread of dinner. You had a carb, you had a vegetable, you had a protein, you had a salad, you had a minimum of two side dishes, like every single day. And I definitely took that for granted as a child, but It also meant that my mom, yeah, you don't appreciate until after you leave. And then, like, I see all the blood, sweat, and tears that go into a lot of these traditional meals. And... Um, I like, I come home and my mom be like, Hey, do you want to go out for dinner? I'm like, no, but can you please cook? Like, can you just like make something? (laughs) Um, so much so that I've, I've made it an effort to, I have like a little notebook. My mom used to have like a notebook in Arabic where she had a lot of the traditional recipes and she sat me down and made me make one. And so I sat down with her one day and like wrote all the traditional Egyptian recipes that she would make. And now I make it a point to make it at home. Like my husband will be like, this is so much work, like, why are you still cooking? It's like 9.30 p.m. on a Wednesday. Like, we're gonna go to bed, like, in an hour. And I'm just like, I don't care. Like, <laughs> I am making this food for the culture. Like, I need to preserve the <laughs> for culture.
3: The <laughs> the culture. Um, Priya, how much of your upcoming cookbook has been formed from that conversation that you, you know, those conversations you have with your mom about her own Indian food?
1: I mean, it's 100% about that. It's about my mom's cooking. Um, which is sort of this hybridized food that's mostly Indian with some of the countries that she's visited in America slipped in. The idea is that all the recipes are very one of a kind. They're very unique and they're super accessible because there's the cooking that she did when she immigrated here and she couldn't find all the ingredients she was looking for. So she did stuff like subbed out paneer for feta cubes. She made pizza with roti and things like that. And I I definitely didn't appreciate it growing up. I didn't realize how gifted my mom was in the kitchen, how innate her sense of flavors were until I was really removed from the situation. And I was working at a food magazine called Lucky Peach. And I, you know, asked my mom for some recipes and submitted them to uh, our upcoming vegetables cookbook. And the recipe developer were like, these recipes literally made me stop in my tracks. They were so good. And also, your mom is a gifted recipe writer. Does she do this for (laughs) a living? And I was like, no, she is a software engineer. (laughs) And that's when I started to think, like, maybe there's something here. And it was actually the editor of the Lucky Peach Cookbook's idea for me to do a recipe around my mom's cooking, because she was like, these were the best recipes in the book.
2: Yeah, my dad. You know, he can make a good omelette, but it doesn't really, like, <laughs> extend beyond that. But my my mum kind of took it upon herself to, like, learn to cook a lot of Turkish food after she married my dad. And she's always had, like, a huge love for the Middle East. So, like, had kind of added a lot of recipes to her, like, repertoire anyway. So she'd always make all this great Turkish food and then um, put it in my pack lunch for school. And I would, like, open up my pack l- lunch and all the kids would be eating, like, dairy, cheese <laughs> and, like peanut butter sandwiches and stuff and I would have like some chickpea thing. and (laughs) I would be like mortified by it. And I would be so envious of these kids that had like this like really shit packaged food. And I'd be like, I just want to eat that. Like, why can't I be normal? And I look back and it was the most amazing food. But did you guys have the similar experience? Yes.
1: Oh my God. I demanded peanut butter and jelly sandwiches every day for lunch for 11 years (laughs) and and then and now when i go into the office at bon appetit once a week i proudly bring in my bell travel i have my little tomato salad sometimes my char my chutney and i'm like so
0: excited to be eating this food at work (laughs) lunchables (laughs) was my thing i just saw kids have lunchables and i was just like i want that like this (laughs) is what i want and now um i'm like i've become the office food critic where we have like lunch catered and every so often we have middle eastern food and then I'll have uh, people next to me like eating the hummus. And I'll be like, store-bought hummus, <laughs> disgusting. Like, you should try how my mother makes it. And they'll be like, dude, like, do you just want to bring it in? I'm like, no, but I just want to let you know you're eating trash. <laughs> like, all of a sudden, like, I look back at myself and I'm just like, where was this like 20 years ago? Everyone should definitely go
3: online and read Lale's like tear-jerking Donor kebab story, because even though your dad can't cook necessarily <laughs> we'll throw him under the vessel <laughs> um like he has like given you this such an appreciation for a food that was really important to him that in your own british Absolutely. way is also important to you
2: yeah so i wrote about we just did this whole late night eats package everyone should read all of it there's a lot of fun food stories to read about but i wrote an ode to the donna kebab which is i think Roweda just discovered this yes is like britain's favorite drunk food also
0: over one million kebabs sold a day like oh my god that like that nugget blew my mind that i actually gasped and like looked up and asked people around me like did you know (laughs) crazy there's a um
2: annual british kebab awards which is like thrown in a very like posh hotel and (laughs) you know and I you know I was like reading about it and you you know you read the list of all the finalists and it's like Ali's Donna in Manchester (laughs) it's just like oh makes me so happy um but you know it was like I you know through my adolescence I would like start getting drunk and then I would eat a Donna kebab in Camden market before getting the bus home and like not ever making the connection that like my dad had also grown up like eating these like much more beautifully prepared kebabs but like also having this like emotional ta- attachment to it in a different way so I got to indulgently write 1300 words on that
0: <laughs> last week and it, it is amazing I also second people should read it <laughs> thank you I want
3: to kind of go back to what you were saying Lale, about being at school with other American kids and feeling self-conscious about your lunch because we were talking earlier about how you felt like everyone else got to go to these cool places like Florida and which I laughed at and you like had to go to Turkey or had to go back to see your family and like meanwhile I was like I had to go to freaking Houston <laughs> <laughs> like I was not having a great vacation either um, but no I just thought that do you feel like other kids at school, like when you were talking about Roweda you know, moving back to Europe, was their experience so different from yours during the summer when they went on vacation, or? Do you feel like it was just different places, but same, same?
0: Yeah, no, I think I totally the relate of this idea of like wanting to go to Florida. Like people <laughs> would be like, "I just came back from Disneyland." I'm like, "Oh, yeah, like, I've never
2: to this day never been to Disneyland. Same. You <laughs> would hate it, Lale. I know.
0: you would hate I think it. It's my worst nightmare. <laughs> but it's like you want to go because yeah. that's what, what all the cool kids did, and then you have nothing to relate to, and you're just be like. I just saw the pyramids. Like, that's so boring, right? (laughs) And then, like, you... I look back at it now. I don't know. It just... It blows my mind, I think, not having enough friends who can relate to it. Um, Also, I feel like the perspective of travel being seen as, like, a luxury, I think, was it came to me much late because it wasn't so much of a luxury. It was a necessity. Like it was a family yeah. obligation to go back. If you didn't go back, my parents didn't go back. Their siblings would get very upset. Um, Cause oftentimes going back meant helping provide resources, right? Like being in the US be meant you more often than not made more money than our family back in the U S and, um, It was visiting our grandparents, which is um, obligatory in culture. Um, And if you don't do, again, family ties are very important. Um, And if it's not something that you actively upkeep, it can actually do a lot of damage. So I think understanding that weight of responsibility, I think, also came super early. And I didn't see that travel equated fun. I think for a long time, travel equated family responsibilities. So then I just really wanted to go to Disneyland, right?
1: For me, my Disneyland was Atlantis, the beach resort made famous by the Olsen twins. Oh my god, yes! Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <yes. laughs> <Yes>. uh, <laughs> Holiday a movie. in the Sun. Like, everyone in my grade, it seems, was going to Atlantis. And instead, we would be going to India, or we'd going to Greece, because my parents wanted to open my mind. And all I wanted to do was ride the water slide, and Mary <laughs> Kate rides. In, just want to go
3: underneath movie. the sharks. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I just and, wanted
1: like, to. And, like, they had a. <laughs> They had a Jamba Juice at that Atlantis. It seemed like the promised land.
2: (laughs) I remember having age like seven, having like a full blown mental breakdown in Istanbul because I didn't want to go over to like our beautiful family house on the Bosphorus to have some amazing dinner. I wanted to go to McDonald's and I couldn't (laughs) understand why we couldn't just go to McDonald's just down the street. Full blown meltdown. <laughs> I mean, God, I mean, it was amazing. My parents just didn't just leave me in Istanbul. Yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh. So I just wanted to actually also ask, and Priya, you go first. What are your like crystal clear memories of going on holiday to India or like with your parents when they had such a travel bug? What are those like early memories of it being introduced to you and being like, oh, it's kind of cool to be somewhere different?
1: Um, definitely most of them are food memories. It's the first time I ate buttered toast with buchiya, which is this sort of like crispy fried potato snack at my aunt's house. And then she made me maggie noodles, which are like Indians favorite, like instant ramen equivalent. And I was in heaven. Um, Second thing was going to the Taj Mahal. That was like one of the first times when I traveled that I was like, oh my God, traveling is awesome. The Taj like took my breath away when I was six years old and the third thing was going to kerala in southern india it was the very first time i'd gone to india kind of as a tourist and where there weren't family obligations we know no one in kerala so i got to really experience kerala not sort of having to go from family to family it was just my family and me going to the beach and eating amazing seafood or at least i was my parents were not and to this day kerala is one of my favorite places i've ever visited in the whole world and i dream of going
2: back and do you think that um you were aware of how special it was at the time or did you kind of take it for granted
1: in india in general i think i took for granted but those two experiences like kerala and the Thods, were both moments where i was like oh india's really cool
2: rueda what were your earliest memories
0: of going to egypt and where in egypt were you going so my family was from Alexandria, and so it's this beautiful coastal city. People think Cairo is the place to be when you go to Egypt, but it's definitely Alexandria because it's a city and it's bustling, but the weather is always beautiful and the oceans are right there, and it's just this, this gorgeous city. And so I, my earliest memories, and these luggages are now banned or are not allowed, but way back when you were allowed to take these like huge luggages which were were, like the size of a dining room table and I remember my parents would pack two per person so if you were a two year old like you got two they're like okay we're counting two and they would take all these <laughs> luggages and the purpose was to buy a whole bunch of gifts right because like back in egypt people loved american named products whatever even if they had the same thing they just they loved the idea so we'd pack it with nikes we would back it pack it with victoria secret bras just like anything that was brand named and so like we would have like no space for us and all these gifts from my parents and i remember before We'd leave, my mom would like go on this huge, like, shopping spree. And I remember her asking me, like, hey, what do you think of this for your cousin and this for your aunt? And so there was this like pre planning mindset before every single trip. And every single trip, we would need extra help. We would never just go to the airport ourselves. We'd have to find, like, more cousins and aunts and uncles to help us lug all this, like, (laughs) huge luggages that were probably like four times the size of an average human being. And, like, definitely makes sense as to why they're banned now and we don't use them. (laughs) Um, And it it was just so ridiculous. But I remember how much thought and love and compassion my mom put into everything. And I think that really stuck out to me. and so when we got there to the airport, even though we were in Alexandria, we would most of the time fly into Cairo because the only direct flight from Egypt is from JFK, and it would only go to Cairo. And um, all my family would take the three-hour drive from Alexandria and they would all meet us. And my first memory of really hitting that this was Egypt was the second you walk out of the airport, it's chaotic. It's like crazy, people are screaming, there are cab drivers who are trying to lure you in and like get all these tourists. I mean, I remember just being so overwhelmed by the amount of like noise and and yelling and the chaos and then just seeing like my entire 20 person like extended family like shouting and screaming our names. Like we were like a basketball team just coming onto the court. (laughs) And I feel like I had never felt so, like, shocked one, but also just, like, so seen and so loved in that way of people who I only see once every two years. And I think that really hit me. Um, and it made it sad for whenever I came back from vacation and then, like, you just fly back into JFK. and then, Into like, JFK and, and there's like, no one. And there's just
2: one creepy man trying to make you get in his yes. cab. Yes, and you're just
0: like, I want more creepy men and, like, family. And so it was... The difference was like so stark in my memory that I think it like it never really went away, and I think um, it really hurt the most when I moved away from Egypt. I remember we had like a super early flight out of Cairo, so we had to leave Alexandria. It was like three, four o'clock in the morning, and um, my dad had like had a car rented with a driver, so we were packing all our stuff in the car, um, and I was just like oh I feel like really sad now and like I didn't see anyone and then it was just me and my siblings and my parents and then out of nowhere all my cousins just like pop out of this car like this tiny little car that probably doesn't legally fit more than four people (laughs) and then like nine, ten of my cousins all come out and they're like did you really think we'd let you leave without us like saying bye and I think I started bawling because then it really hit me like the sense of family and community and the sending off and the receiving of family um, wasn't going to be there anymore and I think that's when I think it really fortified travel for me because then I was just like, wait, I, like, I want to do this all the time. I, I want to be, I want to have that receptive feeling again. And you definitely don't get it in JFK now. Mm-hmm.
2: Got that feeling of like, I mean, it sort of counts for anywhere, but I remember like going on holiday to Istanbul in the summers and like when you like arrive in the airport and you're suddenly like, I'm in a new place. Yeah. It's <laughs> so exciting and I just want to explode. And it was really funny. Seeing my husband, Chris, who Roweda knows very well because they work together. Yes, he's also my desk mate <laughs> <laughs> And general annoyance. <laughs> Went to Istanbul last summer for the first time and he'd never been to the Middle East and he was so, so excited. And I remember we like got off the plane in the morning and I think like five different flights from different parts of the Middle East had all landed at the same time as our one from um, New York. And it was just like... Firstly, like we stepped off the plane and immediately the airport smelled cigarettes and then it was just... Chaos and yeah. like no one was paying attention to the queue. Everyone was just like pushing in front of each other, like and he was just like, What is going on? And I was like, Are oh, you just in the Middle East? Yeah, <laughs> nothing. Yeah, nothing.
0: Nothing is
3: good. Like, go. but, but doesn't it feel so good to be in the know and be like, what are you talking about? This isn't like I've been doing this for years. <laughs> what are you yeah, doing? I was like,
2: Chris? Chill. And then it was like two hours later and I was like, get me out of the fucking queue." <laughs> <cute. laughs>
0: Even though, like, I try my best not to romanticize traveling, I think there is a little bit sense of of relief when I do come back into the US because we've spent so much time here, just like okay, this was beautiful and the food and everything. And then, um, like you stand on the line to get a cup of coffee and it takes you like an hour and a half, and you're like, okay, I'm ready to go back. Like, <laughs> this would have been much faster, like, I'm ready for people to actually start following driving laws, right? Because that's like non existent also in the Middle
2: East. So, I'm assuming then the driving in Egypt is similar to the driving in Turkey, <laughs> absolutely, not
0: worse. <laughs> and so, at that point, you're just like, you know what you can have home in that yeah. sense but also like it also means that it's okay that I don't feel fully complete in one place and I don't think I'll ever feel fully complete I don't think if I moved back to Egypt now it'll be the same like it was when I was 10 years old and I'm kind of okay with that because then I feel like this idea of like wanting to go back and forth forever is a good feeling well then it's interesting
2: because I feel like you probably because you had that time living there have felt like and both of your parents are from there as opposed to one that like, you felt like I think a l- much stronger tie to Egypt than like I have to Turkey. You know, like born and raised in London, went there for holiday, but like I can't speak Turkish. And it's really only been like the last few years that I started to kind of realize like, oh, half of me is actually from
0: Turkey. And like, <laughs> this is cool. It's just so interesting because I still have that feeling when I do go back to Asia, people won't, f- like, they know that, just even if it's not the language, because I speak Arabic fluently, but it's so the way you look, the way you're dressed, and then oftentimes, if I need to pull out my American card, I will. Oftentimes, it's when dealing with bureaucracy and, um, and immigration, you're just like, yeah, I got that American passport, right? And then, like, you come here, and, like, people want a bad mouth, the Middle East, and you're just like, well, actually, this country ain't so great after all. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, where are your loyalties? It's like, it depends on my mood. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah,
2: completely. Also, the World Cup. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh yeah. No, it's like it was very easy for me because it was just England. But um, the rare times that Turkey qualify, then I have to choose. (laughs) Fair.
3: (laughs) Do you guys feel like those early trips that you took home? looking back now that you took them for granted or like those beautiful like those times when you look back and you're like all those people showing up at the airport that was fun but like I didn't really care that much when you were you know 10 because that's allowed do you feel
0: like you took those times for granted yeah I know for a fact I took them for granted because I actually haven't been to Egypt since I've moved back and so it's been about 13 years or so and so I feel like it hadn't really hit me in like um, a long time Even though the rest of my family all have been back, but I think every time I try to plan a trip some Thing happened where like I just couldn't go But I'm planning to go in a few months and I am extraordinarily nervous because I know things are going to be so different I mean politically it's been different We have gone through a revolution and then that revolution was crushed and I family members have gotten older and married and have kids and some have passed away. And so I definitely didn't, I felt like, you know, that feeling when you're young and you're like, life is forever and I'm going to be young forever. So I think it was like, I'm going to be young forever in this country forever. And now that I'm an adult and I'm married and I'm, I have to visit my in-laws' families there and um, see my old, like my family who have probably changed quite a bit, I think is, scary. I'm a bit anxious, but also very excited. But I definitely have to remind myself quite often that like, okay, it's probably not going to be like what I thought it was or what I remember it to be. And so, um, but I kind of wish I did. And so I definitely think I took those times for granted for sure.
3: And Lala, do you feel like going back to Turkey those summers as a kid
2: was a I mean, I think my behaviour over McDonald's <laughs> yeah. is a clear-cut example <laughs> a clear of how example. much I took it for granted. I mean, I totally did. I, d- it was, you know, this like beautiful place, and I just like didn't pay attention to it. Like, I just, just sort of assumed, of course, that this is where we go to like visit my dad's like aunt and uncle who have a parrot.
0: Like, <laughs> of course, this is where we go. Um, I just want McDonald's. <laughs>
2: yeah, I just want to
0: go to McDonald's. Um, I want to play
2: with your parrot. <laughs> I just want oh, McDonald's. God bless Sharky. God he imitated God. you. Oh, it was amazing. He'd whistle songs. Oh, oh God. Oh. Um, but um,
3: that's a real family memory, right? Yeah, there. no, it's like very, <laughs> Sharky very Sharky the parrot.
2: Sharky the parrot, and also this distant cousin of mine, who was around the same age as me, and I was probably about eight years old pinned me up in the hedge and just kept on going English, English (laughs) to me until I cried.
3: (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) God. Family Um, is
2: family. God, families are just insane. (laughs) Um, But I actually went back to Istanbul for the first time with my dad last summer in like, it was like 19 years. The last time we'd been there together was I was like 10 years old for a wedding and then we had like stopped doing these holidays and then I'd gone back once when like, and he'd been going all the time, Um, but I went back once when I was like 22 and then I went back last summer and it was amazing. And it was like, you know, in to what you were saying about how you're like kind of scared that it's gonna be really different. And, you know, Turkey has also gone through a lot of political change. And um, I was also apprehensive about what it was gonna be like when I went back. And like, yeah, like some things are totally different but also everything's like kind of the same. Mm. Like there are a lot of places that just like, I mean, obviously you can't compare Egypt and Turkey, but I don't know. There was just like an ice cream place that I would always go to that was still there. And like the crossing outside, um, you know, the um house that we always go to was still crazy with the crazy drivers. And like, it still felt the same place.
0: Yeah. That's what I'm banking on. Yeah. And I feel like Hopefully that part will never go away. I think that's when you start to develop like love for a country in that sense, no matter what physical changes may be there. I think the emotional ties is the same. And I think it's I mean, it's still pretty strong for for myself. Um, And I think I rubbed off um, um, my husband, who is also natively Egyptian, but, you know, has never lived there or anything and had just gone there for a few summers. To the point where he was just like, would you think about like moving there and like actually living there? And we had this conversation like seriously not too long ago. And we were just like, you know, if we were able to secure things financially that like we would. And I feel like it takes a lot of love to accept a country with all its faults and its fallacies and i think also blows my parents mind a little bit it's just like we literally immigrated here for you and you're going <laughs> to go back and we're like yeah you know this is an open possibility to the point that we see it a part of our future like a very strong part of our future and i think that makes me excited that is such a perfect place to wrap up this episode <laughs>
3: yeah. <laughs> so, Roweda, when you go to Egypt in a couple months, where could people follow your journey?
0: They can follow me on Twitter at roweda underscore Abdel because Twitter won't fill my full last name. So, just the four first letters A, B, D, E, L.
3: <laughs> Priya, where can people find you if they want to follow your writing?
1: Uh, on Twitter and Instagram, I'm at PK Gourmet, G O U R M U T. Also, I have a website, priakrishna.me. I just redesigned it. So, yeah. <laughs>
2: Perfect. Laleh. Uh, you can find me at Lalehana on Instagram.
3: And I'm at oh, Hey There Mara, on all the social medias. You can check out all those stories that we were talking about that Lali wrote at CNTraveler.com and check out all of the stuff we're working on at CN Traveler on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and also all the social medias. You should also check out Roweda's work at Huffington Post and you can check out Priya's semi-weekly Indianish column on Bon Appetit. Thank you guys so much.